Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. So this is going to be a li- little bit different. Um, we're going to kind of tag team and go back and forth during the parts that we are going to fill in. But for those of you who don't know, my name's Chris. My brother is Alvin. He's the one that drums. That's my younger brother, in case you, d- you do not know. And Enrique is my cousin. So <laughs> there, there is uh, that. You know, I've always wondered what it was like to stand in front of this pulpit because PG has a thing that he does where he hits his ring. (laughs) And now I finally know what that feels like. So I can say, get right! (laughs) Uh, But for those of you who don't know, I am basically like the first lady of Rooted. I am not... I am not the rooted in young adults pastor, Tiffany is, but I do help lead, lead it with her. <laughs> but if you want any kind of a summary, that's, that's my job. I'm like the first lady. So, um, so we got permission to be as raw as we want it to be. Um, so that's exactly what we're gonna do. That's how we deliver to the youth and young adults. That's how we minister when, we, when we're out in the street, so we're going to do the same thing here. With that being said, we are going to talk about some very raw incidents that took place in both of our lives that had um, family members had parts that they played in it, but it is in no way to shame or condemn any of those family members because they are not what they did and they're not who they were then. So we just want to make sure that we set that stage right now because we have family members that are watching. Mom, I love you. Um, So we just want to make sure that they all know that we are not condemning them. The Lord brought them out of that. So to open, I would like to open with the scripture, Revelation 12. Verse 10 and 11. I'm, I'm kind of old school. I like the New King James Version. Everything is New King James. Thank you for that one. A- amen. Okay. So 12, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night day and night has been cast down and they overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies and they did not love their lives unto death so to open i am comfortable to share these parts of my testimony because i am i've accepted the fact that i am willing to bleed and die for this Because the Lord has already taken care of it. It's been done in past, present, and future. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So he's he's the one who holds the pen. He writes the the story. And so these situations that we will go over, as raw and tender as they may be, 
Just know that I do not care about the reputation that some of you think that I have. I do not care about the image of what it looks like because the reality is if God is a God who sees in secret, what is he actually watching you do? Right? So growing up, um, I came from a home that was a little bit broken. I had a, I had a father who was like many of you guys, very strict, harsh man. Um, I learned anger and fear very, very early on. I loved him, but I loved him because I feared him. And so um, I remember gro growing up, we had a lot of incidences where I would see my dad fight with my mom. And for whatever reason, between me and my brother, he would wake me up to watch the fight. So I would be woken up abruptly to yelling and screaming, and that was my first uh, interaction with what a father does with his wife. That's what, that was my first interaction of how a father treats not only his kids, but his wife. So unbeknownst to me, that instilled something in me that I wouldn't later realize till I had got old and I was of age. But when that happened, it, it drew a very intense fear into my life. So now, subconsciously, I was looking at the father like my father. So if I messed up or said a word out of place or didn't follow the rule, I was fearing intense wrath. Everything was performance-based. I remember having a very uh, vivid um, experience. I, I must have been like maybe three or four, and I had a toy that I left inside the kitchen. Actually, at this point, my brother left it. I still never for, forgave him for it. it. It was my favorite, favorite toy. And uh, my dad called me into the kitchen, and he backed me into like the corner, and he started yelling. I just remember intense yelling in my face, and he took the toy and smashed it to like the ground. So that was, I was like, never again will I leave a toy around. <laughs> but that was one of my first in interactions for doing something wrong was intense punishment. No grace, no affirmation, no nothing. So I'm going to kind of fast forward. Fast forward, I, um, I'm a little bit older now. My, my dad is no longer living with us. We do have a re relationship because at the end of his, of his life, he wasn't as angry as he was when he started. But there was a key that I did notice is that anger directly affected his body. I noticed that his health began to deteriorate. His bones began to give out. A lot of arthritis, knee problems, heart problems. I would directly correlate that to anger because the Bible does says that a good heart does, does the body good like medicine. So the same can be true for the op opposite. So fast forward, I'm a little bit older, probably around between six and nine years old. And this was going to be the first time to me that part of my innocence was going to be taken. We come from a very big family. I'm talking very big. Like there's probably over 60, 70 cousins within the family just on our mom's side. My mom is the youngest of 10 kids. She's the baby. And Enrique's mom, I think she was like the fourth or fifth oldest. So we all go back. Like we have a huge family. And we had one aunt who was the saved one, which every family has that one aunt or uncle who's 
They are hardcore for the Lord, no cursing, no drinking in front of them. You have the family going outside to do what they want to do so they can't be seen. Always praying, long prayers, kind, kind of annoying. But <laughs> she was sowing seeds into me as a young child. She would sow the story of the strong man with the long hair. And I didn't know at the time, but she was always talking about the story of Samson. And I didn't realize how later that would correlate to my life as well. But that was the first interaction I had with the Lord. Always talking about the strong man with the long hair. The strong man with the long hair. But how many of you know that as strong as you are, if you are not on guard with your eyes, you will wake up one day and not realize the spirit of the Lord has left you. All right? So when light was beginning to show... I had an incident with one of my family members where when no one was around, they ended up violating my innocence. Now, a violation can be anything from molestation to rape to exposure, but I, I am openly saying that in this first part of my life, this violation happened, and it took a part of my innocence that I could not get back. Because how many of you know that what you see can be branded in, in, into you for a very long time. The Bi Bible says that the eye is the window to the body. So if it's full of light, your whole body's full of light. Well, at this point, my light was now kind of dim. So this family member exposed themselves to me. Uh, I was able to run out the room. Long story short, nothing happened, but it was kind of brushed under the rug. I'm just a kid, so I don't know what to say. I don't have my dad that I can turn to, because at least I know in his anger he would have taken care of it. But now I'm left with this to deal with on my own, and I have no idea how to speak about it, so I just brush it under the rug. But kind of not to jump too far ahead, but how many of you know that trauma can live in your bones? But there is good news. So does the anointing. All right? So does the anointing. And so after that first exposure, because in order for you to understand where we were in our marriage and who we are now, you have to understand the journey that led to it. You can't just hear about something happening in someone's marriage and then judge based according to that one incident because you have no idea what leads up to, to that mountain. I know that in my life, the Lord calls people to go up to the mountain, but Satan will just swift you to it, right? Because you, because a lot of people don't put in the work to take the time for the Lord to heal them along the way. So on that journey, after that first violation, I had a second one happen a couple years later. And this one was kind of more traumatic than the first because unfortunately, which it's, it's not unfortunate, but I feel bad for my mom because she walked in on it. So a family member at this point, I'm probably like 11 or 12, takes advantage, and the violation is worse. It was almost, I mean, if, if I'm being real, it was almost borderline rape. And all of this was done by males in my family. All of this. The first immediate response when this happens is that now my mom's crying. It happens in my aunt's room, the one that's saved, the one that's holy. She had no idea about it. And I didn't know at the time, but that was the enemy twisting the word in my own life. 
Because this room was a place of safety. It was holy. It was godly. But the very thing that was holy now became profane, now became perverse, now became perverted. And so I had to deal with that however I knew how. So I ran out, got to my knees, I prayed to the Lord to forgive me as if it was my fault that something happened. Fast forward, happens again with my grandfather. At this point, certain members in our family were now starting to get saved. Seeds were sown, family members were starting to get saved. So I'm 13, I'm handling intense anger. I have lust that I have no idea how to deal with. I'm confused on where it's supposed to go. But all the while I'm hearing that if I give my life to the Lord through other people, then I'll be fine when they have no idea all this stuff is happening behind closed doors. So when I turn thir 13, I hear that my cousin Enrique gets saved. And for those of you who don't know, he was a real thug. Like, he was a real G. He hates when I tell this story. But I, I used to grow up hearing stories about him pulling people out of windows. So <laughs> that, <laughs> but this, but I, I say that because... In this world, you are taught power and masculinity by the violence you can either create or defend, right? So I'm attracted to that type of power because I've never experienced the power of the Lord. So I hear he starts going to church, and I'm like, there's no way anybody in the family, but if it's anybody, it's not an Enrique. And sure enough, he invites us to church, and we have a traumatic experience and the Lord breaks in, makes himself real, only in a way that he knew how. I remember Pastor George was preaching. I remember what clothes I was wearing. I don't remember the sermon, but I remember <laughs> he points at me from the back, and I come up, and he prays, and I fall back, and it just felt like weight was lifted off. First time ever experienced healing. And then to take it a step further, the first family member who violated me gets saved. And not only did they get saved, they actually really got saved. I'm not like talking about one foot in, one foot out. They really got saved. I'm talking their reputation is completely different. I can't, I can't even look at them with the violation even if I tried because I have tried. And it is not in my mind. I cannot associate what happened then to who they are now which is a real testimony that when the Lord covers you, he covers you. He makes, when a man's ways please the Lord, he causes his enemies to be at peace with him. And I cannot tell you that to this day, I have no problem leaving my kids around that man. And she agrees with that. That's how powerful the Lord can cover because only love covers a multitude of sin. Only love. Not punishment, not righteousness, love. And so that kind of messed with me because now I come to the Lord, but I have all these things inside of me that I don't know how to deal with. Now I'm confused, like, why can't I be mad at this person when I feel justified that it's my right to be mad? But how many of you know Jesus gave up his rights, right? When he was being led like a lamb to the, to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. So even though I had a right, I couldn't find the feelings behind that 
to hold on to, to that. So at, at this point, I'm coming from a broken family, a broken father. I have broken trust with my mom. I mean, granted, she did the best that she could with what she had to work with. But at the end, she didn't know how to deal with that. My mom is a very emotional person, for those of you who do know her. <laughs> I grew up with my dad's anger and my mom's sen sen sensitivity, and that was not a good combo. <laughs> right? But it was during that time of being saved that I began to realize that I had never been verbally affirmed. And one of the messages during the series was verbal affirmation. And I tell you, that is probably the most powerful love language that there is out there. Because with words, he created the world. Right? And with words, you can break a spirit. Right? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Those who love it shall eat its fruit. Right? So I was lacking my father to verbally affirm me. And I began realizing that even Jesus was affirmed three times. One when he was baptized. One when he went up to the mountain, and the last time, right before his death, when the Greeks came to see him. And I had been lacking that verbal av affirmation, and I was looking for it from different relationships with either father figures, mentors, friends, right? So when I first came to the Lord, even though I was lacking my identity as a son, I genuinely loved him, but I reached the point that the flesh and the spirit were at odds with one another. I had all these things opened up in me that even though he saved me, I didn't know how to let him clean me. So now I'm in his presence loving him, but I'm dirty, and I'm not realizing that I'm, that I'm dirty. And that was one of the things that, Je that Jesus said to one of the churches in Revelations, that you don't realize that you are naked, wretched, poor, and blind. Because I wish you would. That way I may heal you. I can clothe you. I can help you see again. I had none of that. And so I tell you that without the bold declaration of what the Father says about you, you will believe every lie Satan whispers to you. I promise you. And during those lies, secret sins take fruit. How many of you know that if you do not deal with the secret sins in your heart, I promise you, they will come out publicly. It's the secret sins inside of you that choke the word out of you. If you indulge in darkness in private, your, life will your light will never be seen in public. And so at this point, I'm probably 17 now. I end up running away from the Lord. Just like the pro prodigal son, I ask for my inheritance because you're dead to me. So I leave, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not the type that can... That, that can go back and forth. So either hot or cold is what the word commands. I went cold. So now I leave wrestling with truth, but also with, with lies that have been spoken over me and birthed in me when I, when I was a child. So when I, when I did leave, I, I ended up, now I'm fast forwarding, I'm like 22 now. I ended up having a child out of wedlock. And even though I love my daughter, that was not the way that the Lord intended for that to come about. Even though she's blessed with us this day, she's a gift to me, that still added more trauma and pain to what I was already sweeping under the rug. Things that weren't dealt with, right? And that left me with roots of anger, violence, fear, confusion, lust, lack of security, 
no masculinity, performance-based identity, and now I'm operating out of femininity because all I had was my mom. And though I love my mom, she, she was a crier. So that made me a crier. <laughs> um, you know, I also want to say for him, the reality is also going through that sexual trauma, being a male, also instilled that feminine touch in him. And he wrestled with that. Um, so now you heard a little bit of his backstory. So um, for as for me, um, so I'm from Brooklyn, not the Bronx. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I too grew up with a broken view of family. Um, it was always just my mom. There wasn't a father figure in the home. Um, my mother growing up, I remember she had a habit of chasing after men that had something to do with drugs. Either they were selling drugs or they were drug, they were drug dealers or they were users. It's one or the other. And, um, my father was a drug dealer and, um, so was my brother's father. We have different dads and, but they were never there for us. And at a young age, she basically, like, took us from New York. We moved to California for, I think, like, three years or something like that. Um, and those were honestly the best years of my life before we moved back to New York. When we went back to New York, um, something in my mom switched. And she just became really, really abusive to only me. And it was emotional, it was emotional abuse and physical abuse. It got to the point of even as I got older, she didn't care who saw. Uh, we could be in the street and if I, if she thought I side-eyed her, she had no problem smacking me in front of anybody. She had no problem taking care of business anywhere. And so I will always saw that only my mom said my dad didn't say so he didn't love me. So just my mom stood, so this has to be love. This being abused this way has to be the way you love somebody. But a, a, the other part in me also was like, I didn't like it though. But I was a little girl and nobody could speak for me. If I did say something to somebody, nobody listened. So my voice was shut out. I, didn't ha I wasn't worth it, my voice had no value, my voice held no weight. So there was no truth coming out of my mouth. So at a young age, I thought everything I said was a lie because all the adults didn't even believe me. My mother ends up meeting my stepfather at the time and he's a drug user. And I loved him to death because this man would make me laugh 24 seven, but that's all he did. He never showed me what a man is supposed to do or what a father should do. If my mother came home and she was about to beat the crap out of me, my stepdad would try to step in, but he'd get it too. So it wasn't like my mother was so masculine, so abrasive and so bold in all that she did. That's all that I saw. So if you know me, you know that I am very bold I am very masculine in the way that I speak in my mannerisms. Um, 
and I am extremely abrasive. I get it from my mom. That's all that I knew. On top of that, it doesn't help being born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Like, the people from New York, you're just born different. Like, you're born extra hard. Like, I can't explain it. It's the concrete jungle. <laughs> um, my brother and I, um, we had a good relationship, but then we didn't. My brother was born with a cataract in his eye. So one eye is baby blue and the other one is brown. And he used to get made fun of that a lot. And I always thought that was the reason why he never got abused. Because there was something wrong with him that had to be covered. And so my mother always, always chose his side in every situation. Um, and there was constant competition within the family. I don't know how Hispanic families are because I really wasn't raised with my Hispanic family, but from the time up until I left, everything was competition. Everything was competition. If you sang, somebody sang better than you. If you came out looking a certain way, somebody was prettier than you. It was even competition with my mom. I remember my own mom used to tell me, you know, when it came down to me and some other little girl, I was better than the other little girls, but I wasn't better than my mom. And if I didn't look like my mom, it wasn't okay, it wasn't acceptable. If I didn't sing like my grandmother, I needed to shut my mouth because I shouldn't sing. And that's what I grew up with that type of abuse on top of the physical abuse just so constant. I got to a place where realizing nobody's gonna protect me, nobody's gonna defend me, so I left. Um, when I left, Social services stepped in, a whole bunch of stuff stepped in just to skip ahead. Um, I was basically living in the street. I wasn't living with my family at all. Um, I was jumping from home to home. And um, I remember in that moment, I wasn't scared of being in the street because that was my place of freedom. But I also realized that's how the enemy crept in. At a young age, I was maybe 16 years old. Um, I was already high 24-7, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, snacks in between. I was drinking 24-7. Any party that I could sneak into or get into, I was in there. The only thing that I thank the Lord that I was completely, I knew, I learned now what I didn't know then one thing that the Lord marked me at a young age was I was never promiscuous. Something in me always knew to save myself as far as I can. So I always ran from any type of thing sexual. I never got involved with anything. Um, it was just the drinking, the clubbing, the smoking weed, the, like anything I could do, the fighting. You know, in New York, you have to be able to fight. Like, I'm going to just be real. Everybody wants a piece of you. You don't even have to know them, and they want a piece of you. I grew up getting jumped, being a part of jumping people. That anger festered in me. It didn't help that I also, all I knew was being beat by my mom. So I was now, it was easy for me to beat on other people. And I don't look like it because I'm so tiny. But, I mean, things happen. <laughs> um... And I would fight not only females, I would fight dudes too. 
because my my mindset was so skewed on just men in general that it was like a part of me wanted to be like my mom. I wanted to be the strong woman that didn't need a man. I wanted to be the strong woman that could raise her kids by herself. Like I threw out everything that she did bad and I just wanted to be that. I wanted to be her because she was so independent. So I shut out every avenue of what a man is supposed to be for me. A man couldn't do nothing for me. A father was never going to be able to do anything for me. So I never had an interest in following the Lord. I never had an interest in anybody telling me about the Lord. Um, fast forward, I meet my boyfriend, and um, we end up getting jumped. This is, like, right before I move out here. So we end up getting jumped by, like, 27 dudes. Um, they mistook him for somebody else. They said a slick comment to me, and he wasn't having it. And this was the one and only person in my life at this point who ever whoever fought for me. So when that incident took place, there wasn't no, oh my gosh, there's so many people. I was right by his side, fighting until the end. And he was murdered that night. And so it was like, everything that I knew about men up until that point, men were trash. And I also wasn't worth having a father. I wasn't worth having a man to be there for me. I wasn't worth the fight. And then to be jumped by like 27 plus dudes, I'm really, I really must not be worth it. There really got to be something about me that no man wants anything to do with me. So I had both a little bit of pain from my mom where if you don't, if you can't give me that tough love, even now to this day, it's hard for me to relate to women. And I know that's because of my mom. And as for men, like, sometimes I still struggle with that, too. Um, but it all stems from my childhood. I end up getting married prior to Chris. And like PG said, you have a contract and you have a covenant. That was a contract. We didn't know Jesus. We didn't get married with Jesus. We didn't do anything. We didn't ask God for nothing. It was, oh, you going to the military? Oh, we need money? Let's get married. We're about to get this money. That's really what it was. And that obviously ended because of cheating, and he went out and did his thing. So, again, men are trash. Again, once again, this is like a repetitive thing that I just have in my head all the time that men are trash and I'm not value, valuable enough for anybody to come for me. So I built within me that I have to defend myself at all cost. Whether it's verbally, physically, it doesn't matter whatever it looks like, I am the defender. And if nobody's gonna defend me, if nobody's gonna fight for me, I'm gonna fight for me. 
no matter what it looks like, no matter who I'm fighting against. And it left me in a place where, again, the roots that were instilled in me because of all this is anger, fear, the fight mentality. You know how people say, you know, you either fight or flight. A lot of people, like, I'm going to be real. Everybody in this church, I can ask all of y'all a situation, and you probably be like, oh, yeah, this is what I do, this is what I do. And the first thing I'm going to tell you is you have no idea what you would do in the midst of a situation. You think you're going to do something in the midst of a situation, but until it comes to your doorstep, you don't know what you're about. So you need to be careful before you open your mouth and speak. Unfortunately for me, I'm 24-7 fight mentality because that's all I know. And I've been in enough situations time and time and time again to know that I am ready to fight at all times, no matter what that looks like. So I had no femininity instilled in me. I had nothing but masculinity, and I'm a female. Chris had nothing but femininity, and he is a male. So when we met, you have a female being masculine to her husband and the husband being feminine to the wife. That's backwards. We should both be able to have areas and avenues where we give each other a little bit of both, but that's not what it was. And Chris had this, this thought of, well, I'm the man, you submit, you do this, you do that, and I'm, that's not happening over here. <laughs> Cause, shocker, shocker. Because <laughs> on my side, I don't know about Florida, but in New York, you want respect, you give respect. You want me to see you like a man, act like a man. You want me to respect you, you give me respect. That's where my mentality was. It wasn't, oh my gosh, it's my husband. No, that never worked for us. But we also didn't know, like, I'm going to be real with y'all. We were going over our notes, and I just realized yesterday, I was like, dang, babe, you were born with nothing but femininity. So that even in itself just goes to show, like, marriage is not a one-day thing or you realize one day, oh, my gosh, this is the thing, and we're going to work on it. You can be married for years and still figure things out over and over and over, and you work on it. Do you want to go? So couple all that, and she's a paralegal. I'm never winning an argument. <laughs> never. <laughs> per perfectly timed. So the whole time before we meet, I should have, as a man, a man of God, because I knew the truth. I, I loved the Lord. I loved the word. But I hadn't, I hadn't dealt with any of the secret sins that I was dabbling in. I mean, at such a young age, I'm talking pornography, masturbation, lust, anything you can think of, I, I was drawn to it. That's why before we met, I threw away my innocence to every woman I could find. It, didn't, it, it reached a point I didn't even have standards. It was just... Whoever, if you're a woman, then you can get it. <laughs> Where she's over here. <laughs> Leave it to the Lord to couple up 
I'm gonna be real with you, but somebody that was basically a hoe in the streets, and then somebody who saved herself. <laughs> but she's the anchor where I was lacking, because I realized, and I had to come to terms with myself, because she's a fire, and I was like, well, I should be a fire, and I'm not a fire. I am like water, and water is soothing at times, but it can drown you when you're not careful. And so I knew that the Lord was doing something in us when we got together because I knew that I knew that I knew that she had so many qualities of what a, a real wife was according to scripture, but I was looking to her to verbally affirm who I was, and she was never built to do that. So in every misunderstanding, in every argument, in every communication we had, I am subconsciously waiting for her to verbally affirm me, and that's not her job. But she was needing someone to protect her and lead her and guide her to the Lord, and I, and I wasn't doing my job. How many of you know that Adam was right there when Eve was being whispered to by the serpent? He watched, he watched it happen, right? He wasn't doing his job, and when a man is not taking his place, he allows his woman to be in a position to hear from snakes. But also, ladies, you ain't safe either. Because to keep your man from getting to that place, you have to play your part. So you have to speak into your husband. You have to support your husband. You have to keep an eye out for the things because I'm a, being real with y'all, I saw the snakes coming from miles away. They were in front of our face, and he was still like, where? So women, we have something. Our level of discernment in those areas is so on point. Yep. You need to be on point with that because it is your job, too, to guard your husband. Yes. And I second that with that the Lord gave the command to Adam, but Satan knew that he would listen to his wife. So you definitely have to be able to be that anchor and the counterpart when you guys are together because you bring a balance and a weight that the Lord wanted to and intended for in each and every marriage. That's why two become one. Our water and fire were perfect for each other, but in the beginning... We had no idea how to hand handle it. We were, we were coming into this marriage like broken bones with fractures, like how P, PG preached about. And the one thing that has to happen in a bone healing process, the very first thing that happens is blood comes rushing in over the break in order to form a callus around it. But the blood cannot do its purpose if you keep breaking it over and over and over again. Me and, me and Tiff, we had been t together now for a while, but our communication was way out the window. I mean, as you can tell, verbal affirmation is not one of her strong suits. <laughs> she's very- I'm working uh, on it. She's more truth and I'm more love, but if you have love with no truth, then you have grace as a license to sin. And if you have truth and no love, then now you're under punishment and condemnation. So you have to have a balance of both in your marriage. And we are prime egg examples that when a, a marriage reaches a hopeless situation, God can step in and not just restore, but 
He said, I am the resurrection. He can resurrect a dead marriage that has been stinking in the ground for four days. All it takes is the right positioning to allow him to speak so you can come out. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to turn to Matthew 21, verse 44. And it reads as follows. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. And on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So me and Tiffany, we reached a point in our marriage where now we're constantly fighting. We're constantly arguing. We're not understanding each other. She's not giving me what I, what I need. I'm not giving her what she needs. After every fight, after every anger, after every boredom, I'm running to my secret place to indulge in my pornography and my masturbation while she's over here not caring uh, all about me and nobody's fixing this marriage. So the Lord, he's gracious and he'll wait for you. But sometimes he will let you get to that point where you fall and break and maybe Maybe, depending on the situation, it might ground you, grind you to powder. He doesn't want you to get to that situation, but sometimes we are hard-headed. Sometimes we, as people, need to learn from our mistakes. So we reached a point in our marriage where we were completely separated. And the moment we separated, I went and did what I was accustomed to doing. I went out to the world. I didn't care about our reputation. I went and slept with whoever and whenever I, I, I could. And the whole time, Tiff is pleading with me to come home. Now she's showing me a side that I had always wanted, but I did, I did not get until it had already hit the fan. I'm over here doing my thing, not caring about the Lord, which how many of you know that John chapter 5 says that you search the scriptures for you thinking that you have life, but you don't realize that they speak of me. I love the Bible. I am a Bible guy. But when there is a, di a disconnect from your head to your heart, you're short-circuiting. And anything that short-circuits in an electrical circuit doesn't work properly. It doesn't give out power no more until you fix that break. And so the whole time that I'm out here destroying my testimony, destroying my wife, putting her to an open shame, she's taking the low road and praying for my soul. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about to go off. Go ahead. <laughs> so I'm going to say my part, and then you can do your rest. <laughs> so everything you said is true. Um, we got to a place in our marriage where we separated. Um, I kicked him out. He went to his mom's house. And um, I knew he was cheating. I knew he was doing all this stuff. And I was like, I'm done. That's it. I'm getting a divorce. I'm done. I came to PG. I told PG everything. Like, just vomit out the mouth. Everything. And um, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I had a very small circle during that time. And the circle consists of, I want to say, maybe two or three people outside of PG that knew what was happening. I was pissed off because the Lord wanted me to cover him. And I didn't want to because he wasn't covering me. But I honored the Lord. And every other day it was, I'm divorcing him today. 
But then the next day, I call PG. I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to divorce him, PG. And he'll be like, okay. And then I call him the next day. PG, that's it. I'm done. I'm divorcing him. And the next day, I'd be like, PG, wait. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and I was struggling with that back and forth. But then I got to a place where I was like, you know what? This dude is trash. Like, I could do so much better than him. So let me go out there and do better. But every time I entertained a conversation, I just felt nasty. Thank you. <laughs> it, it wasn't, I just knew that it wasn't right. <laughs> Miss Linda, thank you for her. <laughs> um, so then I got to a place where I had set my mind, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't want to be another person. Like, if I'm going to be honest with you, if I think of my actual family, I don't have a big family like Chris. Um, in Florida alone, it's just me. And then I have a mom that lives in Fort Myers. That's it. So um, I knew that I wasn't going to talk to my family because if the possibility of us getting back together, I wasn't going to allow anybody to look at him a certain type of way. And I wanted to cover that. It also got into a place of I did not tell everybody my story, but just that handful of people. And even with the handful of people, there was only one person who actually knew the details of the details of the details, and that was PG. I kept it quiet because I knew certain things. If I say certain things, no matter what, they were going to look at him a certain way if he came home. And it got to a place where I genuinely did not love him anymore. And I wasn't in love with him, and I chose to say, that's it. Like, I don't want the love to come from me no more. And then Adam came to RCC. <laughs> and Adam spoke about his wife. And I was sitting there listening, and I'm like, this is my husband's guy, this is my husband, and he wasn't here. And I just knew I had to get to Adam. Everybody rushed the stage, and I did not care. I had to get to Adam. Because if there was anybody that was going to reach Chris, it was going to be him. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and then I finally got to him, and I said, I'm Chris Zaya's wife. And he just looked at me, and he was, like, looking around the church, and he was like, where's Chris? And I remember looking outside the windows, and I was like, he's out there. And I just started crying, and I didn't have to say nothing. He knew. And he prayed over me. He said, like, a quick prayer over me and for Chris. And he told me, like, you hit me up at any time. I'm, and that's what I, I probably annoyed him. <laughs> But I constantly, I would be like, you know what your boy's doing? And I would, like, tell him because I probably told him, too, like 20,000 times, I'm, I'm done. I'm divorcing him. And he would tell me, wherever you feel the Lord take you, but I'm covering you. Chris this. Chris, like, he would just speak life into a situation to me that was just straight dead. Then I said, you know what, God? You show me the love that you have for Chris because I don't have anything. So you show me him the way you see him because that's the only chance that we have right now. Because I was, 
I'm a stubborn person. Um, <laughs> so when I put my mind to something, I stay there. And I remember, I remember reading Redeeming Love. For those of you that don't know, it's the, st the story of Hosea, basically. And um, Funny, I gave her the book in the beginning of our relationship. And even funnier, you want to talk about how p death and life is in the tongue? I didn't know that when he gifted me that book, the first thing I said, I read that book in like 10 seconds. I'm exaggerating. But it was so good. And I remember looking at him, telling him, if you do this, like, there's, that's it. Like, I would never be that stupid. God himself would not have me come back to somebody who's doing that. Because God himself ain't nobody that's going to tell me to do anything. Sure enough, God himself was the one who told me I was going to fight for him. <laughs> and I did. And it got to a place that the Lord showed me. The Lord showed me Chris not in the moment and not from our past. He showed me Chris of who he created Chris to be. And he showed me Chris of who he is to become. And I started to tell God, okay, I want to love that. That's the man that I want to love. That's the man that I'm going to fight for. So I fought for him. I fasted for him. I tithed for him. I prayed for him. I went out reaching out to people to pray for him. I went as far, I don't know if you guys even know Corey Russell. I even went to Corey Russell and I was like, pray for your boy. This is what he's doing. Like I went to everybody that I knew he would listen to and I had them pray. And I started even seeing the Lord show up for me. PG, something you don't even know, but when you be up here and you be like, I went OG gangsta. I make fun of you when you do that because I'm like, what? where is he gangsta? <laughs> But you want to know something? And I'm saying this for all the people who have kind of like that street mental mentality like me. A father for me, if I would have had a dad, what I wanted, I wanted to go to my dad and be like, yo, my husband did this. My husband's cheating. My husband did all this stuff. I want you to take care of it. And I wanted a dad to go take care of it. I wanted a father for me in that moment because I am my own defender. A father for me was going to go and handle my husband and whatever he wanted to do at that point, and I would be happy. I didn't know that a father for me is what PG did. So I do make fun of you when you say about the gangster thing. <laughs> but real talk, PG's a gangster. Like, for real. You gave me what I wanted a dad to do for me during that time when I didn't have a father to do that. And I didn't realize that, like, the fact that you held your ground and I'm not your daughter, but you said, if you was my daughter, I'm not going to see my daughter be hurt this way. And when you saw Chris, you didn't love on him. You gave him this thing that he needed. That's a gangsta. And you gave that to me. And so I didn't, I didn't realize until after that that's what I needed, that I needed 
a godly man to step in and be my dad. And that's what the Lord did through you for me. And it got so bad in our marriage that I actually ripped up the papers like three times. But the last time we signed the papers and I was for real done at this point. And I remember calling PG like PG, the papers are signed, everything's signed. But I have this one paper. And I held on to this one paper. And I was like, Lord, if you're going to move, you need to move. Because this is about to get filed and I'm done. I didn't even remember calling Chris. And PG said, you know, you have every right to do the divorce. But whatever you do, I stand by you. And I ripped the papers up. And I called him. And I said, you the one acting stupid. You the one throwing my name through the dirt. You doing all this stuff while I'm covering you. But you know what? I'm going to make it hard for you now. You want the divorce? You get the divorce. Because you acting like you want it. So go get it. I didn't know that that was going to save us. So I'm saying all that because... You could be going through a situation in your marriage and you think running to people is going to help you. You think running to the opposite sex is going to help you. The reality is, if you a dude, if you are my husband's friend, you're not my friend. If you a female, if you ain't my friend, you ain't my husband's friend. It's either you our friend or you ain't a friend. Do you want to go now? So... I was learning at that time, which I didn't realize then, but in intimacy, intimacy means to see into me. Lust requires your eyes to be open while intimacy requires your eyes to be closed. And what you're hearing, what she was doing on the light side, during that darkness, you start to believe every lie that you create. And how many of you know that the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft? So I wasn't just sinning. I was practicing demonic witchcraft. With every person I laid, I took on a new spirit. I remember being in low, because I didn't know what was going on, but the Lord was giving her divine dreams because I don't know about y'all, but I am really good in my flesh when I want to be secret and sneaky. You will not find, find out. She was calling me with dreams the very next day, telling me what I was doing the night before when I knew I was in a place. Nobody knew me. Nobody saw me. We had never been. Therefore, she could have never known. And she's vividly telling me exactly what I'm doing, who I'm with, what I'm wearing. And the whole time she's showing me light, and I'm seeing so much light that I'm already in darkness, that I want nothing to do with it. I had already purposed in my mind, this is done I've broken her beyond repair. She'll never get back with me. I'm literally trash. So what does trash do when it sits out for so long? It festers and creates maggots. What do maggots do? They create flies. What do flies end up doing? They get attracted to blood, right? They suck the life out of whatever they touch. And so in this season, the Lord is just speaking to me. Chris, where are you? And every time he, he would do that, I would shelter away more, hiding away from his presence. 
and he would remind me because remember, he's a Holy Spirit. So he'll chase you when you stop running. And I remember there was times when I'd be laid up with somebody and I would just start crying, 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 crying. And I got this person looking at me like, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And I'm just crying, 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 crying. And then I remember at, at one point, I'm staying over this person's house who I'm messing with, and my son writes me on, on, on his iPad um, at like 11.30 at night saying, asking me if I'm still his dad. And here I am finishing whatever I'm doing, and I'm reading this message, and I'm like, what, where am I? Weed and pornography and drugs and alcohol, they are all symptoms, but they're never the root. Sometimes you can get addicted to that darkness. And the whole time, I'm like, Lord, I've already exhausted your grace. You've forgiven me time and time again. People who knew me, who had a relationship with me, they didn't come to me. And I was upset. And they had their reasonings, which were in some ways justifiable. But ultimately, Scripture tells us that we have the ministry of reconciliation. That reconciliation is not dependent on whether the person hears you or not. And the Bible says that you who are spiritual, when you see your brother overtaken in a trespass, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And I had nobody reaching out to me but Adam. And every time he would text me, hey, man, what's up? I would break and start crying because I knew exactly where it was going. And I, all that to say that the whole time in my sin, the Lord still counted me worthy of being covered. The whole time in my sin, he counted me worthy to be covered. And I manipulated my family. I manipulated my daughter, my son. I manipulated the reputation. I didn't care where I left her at. But God cared where I was at. How many of you know Psalms 139 says, where can I go and flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There was nowhere to run. And before I could come to an understanding of my nakedness, I had to realize Jesus' na nakedness on that cross. And a lot of times we don't understand the nudity that he's exposing himself for on your behalf. So you cover up your own nakedness because you can't accept that. And the only thing that covers you when you're naked is his light and his love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Not some sins, not a little bit of sins, but a multitude. And most people don't know, but her name literally means the manifestation of God in human form. And she was showing me Jesus in a way that no man, no preacher, no pastor had ever showed me 
Because when I'm rejecting her like so many of us reject him, she's chasing after me. And just like the prodigal son, when you spend all of yourself on pleasure, you will never come home until you realize, why am I eating with pigs? And God didn't hold me according to my sin. He stood with open arms and saw me afar off. And I remember PG preached a message one time about eagles. And he said something so powerful that when an eaglet is falling, that no matter how fast you're falling, you have a father that can fly faster to catch you before you hit that ground. So all that to be said is that the Lord had to restore this in a way that only he knew how. She had every right to leave, but she chose to stay. And I believe that her crown shines brighter for that choice. We didn't have restoration. Our marriage was dead. It was dead. It wasn't like I fell into adultery one time. No, multiple times with multiple people. And all of that left me nowhere. The world tells you that it, you have to get a certain amount of numbers under your body count to be relevant and to be a man. And that is not what a man is about. A man is one who gets on his knees before the Father. Because if you don't bow your knee willingly, he will force you to bow it at, at the end. And I say that to say that if you're in a place where your marriage is hopeless and it is dead and it is far past due and it is six feet under, he can resurrect it. My wife had been praying for a child years before she met me, even in her previous marriage. We have been together for a total of eight years. We had our son, and I don't believe he was a redemption baby, but I believe he was a gift to her faithfulness. And he was a gift to the resurrection that he brought in this marriage. You know, the world represents the law. But you can't get into the kingdom of heaven by the law. Moses didn't see the promised land, not just because he struck the rock the second time. It's because Moses represents the law. And the Lord couldn't have the law come into his land because you needed a savior. Joshua was the one who saw the promised land. And in Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. So when you think you need what the world is giving you out there, that's not what you need. What you need is a savior and Jesus is the only way. And he can and will save your marriage wherever it's at. The last thing the Lord had to teach me when I came home was he told me, son, until you learn to bleed for this house, 
I cannot give you oil for my house. So many people lose their families bleeding in a house that he's already bled for. He's already bled for. But you're not bleeding in the house that he's called you to leave. And until there is a shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. to doing altar calls <laughs> but I definitely feel a grace upon this whether it's you're married you're in a relationship you're going to be married you're engaged if you don't deal with the secrecy in private the father would never reward you openly and if you don't deal with that trauma and you allow the Lord to come in and really change you family restored number one ladies and men the example for Tiffany is that she chose even though she had a right to leave she had the green light biblically and that story that she said she's not exaggerating she would say that then she would say change her mind she would say it and change her mind and at this point I said you have the green light I'll support whatever you, you do but she held on Ladies, men, she chose, even in the midst of infidelity, to cover. Wives, you have that responsibility. And husbands, this is what, he, he didn't get to that deep, but what did he have to do? He had to confront the root issues that you, he just said from his childhood and his trauma. That it wasn't just his marriage, it wasn't Tiffany, it was much more than Tiffany. Tiffany was just icing on the cake, and Chris was just icing on the cake. 
they both had undealt with childhood drama, and it will affect your marriage. But the one thing, one thing he did is that not only he recognizes what really was the root of the cause, the rejection, the femininity growing up and, and looking for women and you looking for men, you repented, you humbled yourself, and you had an encounter with the Lord, and you showed humility. And I remember in this altar where, where you came and you, and you answered the altar call, and I turned to you, and it was organic. It was, I had a word of the Lord, and we embraced, and something broke off. Because you showed humility, you repented, and now your family is restored. One paper away from divorce. Don't tell me God can't restore your family. Don't tell me God can't restore your marriage. If you choose to believe in the power of God, God will save your marriage. She chose to believe. You're my hero for that. You chose to believe chose to believe and you got baptized and you and you said I'm going all in and you didn't defile yourself in the midst of that this is your reward family restoration and your beautiful son do you guys feel anything led by the Lord because I, I feel some things but I want you to if you feel something from the Lord right now before we end because there's families that we want to pray for is there anything that you feel? Maybe you're like Chris and Tiffany. Adam, do you feel anything? Come here. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to heal these, some families right now before we leave. Um. they've come and come and come and come again to the Lord and you've been you know what I'm sick of the ups and downs I'm sick of being dragged around thinking you're serious and you're not worrying about where you're gonna go are you loving Jesus I did something I don't know if this meant as much to you as it did to me but I sent him a voice memo and the voice memo was this because when he first fell away I was still serving the Lord I, I didn't I didn't have my backslidden thing until my late 20s I sent him a voice memo and I said, I am sorry that when I found out what you were doing, that when I found out you left Jesus, I'm sorry I left you. The Ministry of Reconciliation, he said it. We're all, guys, everyone in this room, you're obligated. That's not a ministry for some, that's a ministry for all. 
I sent him that voice memo and I said, I'm sorry that when I found out how low you got, when I found out how far away from God you ran, that I was complacent in myself and said, well, at least it's not me. I didn't care enough to drop all of my needs, all of my wants to go to him and to pull him in the direction he needed to be. I had blood on my hands because I was not willing to fulfill the ministry of reconciliation. So I humbled myself in that voice memo. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I made you feel alone. I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you. That when you would call, I wouldn't pick up because I was a little too busy with my ministry stuff. Some of us, we have an addiction to ministry. We have a compulsive need to minister or we've lost our identity. Your ministry is not who you are. These connections, your relationship with him and your connections with people, not how many stages you preach on. So I wanna say that as my first point. If there's someone in your life that you know has been on and off that fence of loving God, it is your duty before the Lord as a son and daughter to not give up hope but to reach out. Oftentimes, it was just a text message I would send. It wasn't some theological surveyed essay to try to persuade him to love Jesus. It was, hey, how are you? I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? Not in a judgmental way. And the second thing I want to say, I heard this on the way here. I heard the Lord say, and this is a call to all, Come up here and get them. What I mean is your spouse, your children, your parents. Treat the altar today as a place to come up and to get them. Come up and get the one that's been lost. Even as I was hearing about your old story, the tragic story of their childhood, come up here and get your mom. Come up here and get your mom. Like, Let's go after an intercession and a life devoted for the ones that we love who are away. Come up here for your husband. Come up here for your wife. Come up here for your child. Come up here for your parents. We give up far too often. When we've been taught by Jesus to ask, seek, and knock, we've been taught by Jesus to have persistence in prayer, and yet our faith is so small that we lose that. Come and get them today. Are you guys ready? Close your eyes. You heard this word today. Here's what the Bible says while your eyes are closed. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. I'm speaking to those that heard this testimony and have lost hope. Deep down inside, you may be good on the outside, but your hope is waning. Your hope is waning. And it may not be in a marriage situation. It may be in a brother or sister situation. It may be, it may be a, a daughter and a mother situation. Like Adam said, I promise we're going to let you go. But I just want you to close your eyes and ask, who is it that I need to not give up on? And be like Tiffany, that I had every right to turn away. But she chose. It's a choice to stay fighting for her marriage 
she chose to lay her life down and said, God, if you don't do it, nobody can. But those who are standing in the gap for someone that they're believing God for, for restoration, if deep down in your heart you know that there is a need for hope to arise in you for your marriage or your family, and you're holding on, and you could relate to Chris and Tiffany, maybe not in the marriage, but in something else. I want you to raise your hands right now in your seat. Come on, don't be shy. Come on. There's, there's a hope that's needing to arise. You're, you want to stand in the gap. There's a hope that needs to arise. Come on, be honest with yourself. There's a hope that you've been waiting for, and the Lord is speaking to you today. Don't give up on that family. Don't give up on that relationship that's godly. Don't give up. Come on. If you're saying, I need strength to not give up hope that God is going to restore my family. And I'm going to stand. Listen, I hear the Lord saying, stand in the gap for them today. Are you willing to be a little bit undignified? Are you willing to in a way be embarrassed and say I don't care I'm going to stand in the gap for my family because Tiffany was willing to be embarrassed while other people would say just leave him you deserve to move on she said no I'm going to stay I'm going to fight for my marriage and guess what God fought for her and for Chris so right now really quickly if you had your hands raised and you want to believe God for some restoration and hope to restore and keep something that's about to break or it's been wounded for a long time. I don't, I don't care if you're a leader in this place. I want you to come up right now and stand in the gap. Come on. I want you to stand in the gap right now. Come on. Hope arise. That's right. Let hope arise. There's many of you hurting right now. And God is saying, stand in the gap for your family. Look at this. Look at this. Wow. Holy Spirit. Stand in the gap. Come on. Come on. Stand in the gap for your marriage. Stand in the gap. Come on. Fight. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your spouse. Fight for your daughter. Fight for your son. Come on. You may have been hurt and may not be existing, but there's a fight that needs to happen. There needs a hope that needs to happen in your in your family maybe you're the only one that always comes to church and your your spouse is the one that stays home you need hope you need hope and strength that the lord is going to come through i want enrique and all my leaders that are not in the altar my brother over there come over there you my brother and sister come over and help, help me that, tiffany's friends come over come on Come on, all my leaders that are not ministry, come on. We're going to worship the Lord. I want you guys to just hold hands, I mean, lift up your hands and cry to the Lord. I want no one praying for anyone yet because I want the Lord to do it. Come on, come on. We're going to make a commitment to strengthen our family. My God, look at what's happening here. Oh, God. We're not going to give in. We're standing in proxy. We're standing in hope. Come on, if you could do it for Tiffany and Chris. You can do it for me. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.